0: Um, I always want to remind us as we begin a talk of what, what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, and that we're on, We are taking steps uh, down a journey of what does it mean for us to live in the way of Jesus? What does it mean for us to live as disciples of Jesus? Um, and that's a daily activity, uh, a daily action. It's something we just keep working at every single day. Some days we feel like we take steps backwards. Some days we feel like we might take a step forward. Uh, if you like me, most of the time you just feel like you're standing still. But we want to continually be reminded that we are wanting to live in the way of Jesus. We want to learn from Jesus. We want to do the things that Jesus did. We want to, more and more every day, be enamored and enraptured by who He is as a person. Um. And so whatever we, whatever we talk about, whatever we teach, we, we want that to be infused into what we do. Does that make sense? Um, and so we've been doing this series on Jesus, looking at Jesus, the eternal son, from different aspects. So we've started in the beginning of Jesus preexistent as Trinity, um, and then in the Old Testament, and then um, in incarnation and all the things that came because of incarnation that, that he's a prophet and a priest and a king and he's the good shepherd and he's our healer and he's our friend and, uh, and our brother. Um, and then last week was an interesting one, which is so powerful. You know, who put Jesus on the cross? Why was he put on the cross? Um, it's a question that people ask a lot of. Today we want to talk about, in a little way, I don't know how we do it in a little talk, Jesus victorious we come to the end of the story as we are doing it. I mean, there's lots to be done. But looking at Jesus a little bit in the fact that he has won, that there's a victory, and we can celebrate in that. Um, that even when the, the days we feel like we're not moving forward, in the days we feel like we might have taken a step backward, it hasn't changed the reality that Jesus has been victorious and that Jesus is seated on the throne. And nothing can change that. And so we always have this hope that we look forward to, that we can anchor to in our deepest and darkest, weakest moments. There's something that's still above us that we can aim toward. Um, And I think that's important for us to know. Because I think, I don't know about you, sometimes I get discouraged when I read the news. There's so much that's just going on in our world that is kind of upsetting. I don't know if it's upsetting to you. I don't know if you think about it. Um, Linda is much more efficient at looking at the news than I am. Sometimes I just don't want to look at it, but she keeps texting me things <laughs> to remind me. And it's really good. Because sometimes I just want to switch off and just say, can't I just be in my little bubble in Altadena and let the worst thing that happened to me, I've got weird neighbors, you know. <laughs> but actually we live in a real world that Jesus wants us to interact with. He wants us to have influence. Every day, wherever we go, some of us might never go to another nation, quote, as missionaries. We might never go to another state as missionaries. We might find ourselves living in our, in our apartment for the rest of our lives every single day and going to work and coming home exhausted, and then you've got kids and, 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 and or everything that goes with that. Yet in the midst of that, Jesus is still victorious, he's still ruling, and he's still desiring for us to be influential in that part of the world that we find ourselves in. And it doesn't matter where we find ourselves in. We are faced every day with the challenges of our world, things like racism. It's everywhere around us. It doesn't matter what city or what community you live in, it exists. When we moved to, the, to where we lived in San Marino, you know, I thought, well, there can't be racism here because there are no African-Americans. I think there's one family. in the, But actually, there was racism between other groups of people. And then within the Asian population, there was racism in them between Taiwan and mainland. They don't like each other. So there's just all this stuff wherever you go. Wherever you go, there's sexism. People act to get people and push people down. And we, wherever we find ourselves, we want to live in the way of Jesus so that that is brought to bear into the world that we find ourselves in. Every day we are, we are around us, there's poverty. What can we do about it can we meet every need do you feel guilty because you don't meet every need or have you found a peace in jesus to say i'm going to do this one thing and i'm going to do it well and then feel freedom in that in south africa we there were days we could have 20 people knock on our door looking for work or money or food now it's impossible to give to everybody but if you choose somewhere where you know you are truly investing and helping someone, then there's a freedom to say, I'm sorry, I can't help you today. Unless, of course, you're led by the Spirit. Because you know that you are actually doing something. we faced with those sort of issues every single day. Every single day, you're called to love your neighbor. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter if they smell. It doesn't matter if they're rich or poor. It doesn't matter. We are called to love our neighbor. That's living in the way of Jesus. Now, again, as I said, some of my hardship is learning to love my neighbors because it's really hard. You know? But we're called to do that. Huh? Well, That's another thing. I had, to, I had to call the police on my one neighbors this weekend. So, and it wasn't them. Yeah, but there's a lovingness in that as well. Because there's a care for people. You know, sometimes you just can't bury your head in the sand. Sometimes you actually have to take a stance. Sometimes you have to resist. Um, And I want to encourage you that as we live in the way of Jesus, as we allow Jesus to invade our lives more and more and more every day, please don't rest on the laurels that you gave your life to Jesus 40 years ago, 20 years ago, one week ago. Would you every day? Walk in the ways of Jesus and allow him to change you and shape you from the inside out. So that as we face the things that we face in our world, that we do it um, in godliness. Is that all right? So as we as we go into this, I always want us to remember that. Remember to pray for our nation. Our nation needs prayer, as well as many of the other nations. But this is the one we find ourselves in. We should pray for it. We actually command it to pray for the leaders of our nations in the different areas. So I want to encourage you to do that. Um, maybe we can do some of that a little later. So starting off this in, in Jesus victorious, Jesus ruling, reigning, Jesus is, is seated on a throne and no one's ever going to move him off. Are you, do you believe that? Do you really, really believe that? That Jesus is on the throne and no one will ever moving off if you believe that and you say you are a follower of Jesus i think our lives need to start living up to that which he is doing and um <clears throat> hello <clears throat> Just come in, drink, eating, drinking, be merry, have a party. <laughs> Alan, part of the of following the way of Jesus, learning is learning how to husband. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, We live in a world where actually we are told we are the captains of our own souls. And we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we can do all those things. But I think that as we walk in the way of Jesus, as we learn to be apprentices to Jesus and we ask asking Jesus to invade our lives, we're actually asking Him to be the captain of our souls. We're asking Him to bring life to us and that we can be the under-captains. But we want Him to lead. We want Him to shape us into what he wants us to do. So let's turn in the book of Colossians as we now kind of unpack this a little bit of Jesus victorious. It's a big subject. Um, I'm going to do a few little points and we'll be done. I'm just, Colossians 1, starting in verse 15, I want to re- read something about Jesus. I think it'll be a good place to start. He, speaking about Jesus, the Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Have you seen that? Everything that was created, doesn't matter at what level of authority, it was created by him, through him, for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And what verse am I going up to? Verse 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. It's a beautiful resume for Jesus. If that crossed your, de- your desk, as the boss of your company, would you employ him? Well, every day that resume comes across the desk of your mind, and he's asking, Will you submit to that? Will you embrace that? And it's so easy to just switch our minds to something else and let that piece of paper with his resume just sit there. But every day it comes. Jump to chapter 2, the, verse, the, the, the text that Mike read. I'm going to read a little earlier, starting in verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Scary every day. Things are competing for our attention. They're competing for our minds. When the Bible says we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, most of our minds are being renewed every day just by the wrong philosophy, by the wrong things. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised and, in, and with him through faith and in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, Jesus, having forgiven us all, our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us, against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The victory that comes over the legal hold that the enemy had on our lives, which was put in place way back in Genesis chapter 3, in that beautiful garden, when our ancestors decided to give up their right to rule and hand it over to another, that has been reversed. The legal hold that that enemy had over us, the authority that the enemy had over us, is dealt with at the cross once for all. Is that right? It's called the gospel. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He, Jesus, disarmed the ruler's and authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. It's a great text. On the cross, in that moment that seemed to be the point of greatest weakness and greatest defeat, the enemy overplayed his hand, and a great victory was won, a victory that can never be reversed, ever, And out of that nailing to the cross comes a resurrection. And in that resurrection, death is defeated. And then Jesus ascends, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. We'll come to that in a moment. And he rules, and he reigns in the position of authority and strength. And that will never, ever be reversed. I want us to get that into our beings today. We're not going to wake up tomorrow and suddenly find there was an election and Jesus has been voted off. The only way that Jesus gets off the throne is when you do not allow him to be ruling in your own life. We'll come to something that deals with that in a moment. Jesus' victory is decisive and it kind of fulfills the promise in Genesis 3, that first promise that the, son, the, the the woman would bear a son through that seed and he would crush the serpent's head. And on the cross through that victory, that is fulfilled. It's done. It's a decisive victory. In Matthew 28, and we won't look at some of these verses, but you'll know them. They common, but in the Great Commission, before Jesus does anything to commission these disciples, he says, All authority. In heaven and on earth has been given to me. So all authority is now with Jesus. The enemy does not have authority. He thinks he does. He's got some sort of pseudo power that he loves to exercise over us through making us feel guilty and causing us to doubt and fear and all those things. But he actually has no real authority. It's done. All authority is with Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, that great verse that Jesus emptied himself, came down as a baby, lived this humble life, and died, and, and says because of this he has been given a name that's superior to every other name. And that at that name, how does it go? Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Not some. Every, every knee will bow. In good Pentecostal charismatic tradition, can you say every, every, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And you're going to say, but I don't see it yet. We're coming to that. The question is not what the other people are doing. The question is, what are you and I doing? Are we bending the knee? Are we confessing? If our neighbor doesn't, it doesn't matter at this point in time. It's, have, do you? Because one day when you do stand and you are, you're going to do it anyway, because when you see Jesus the way he really is, you will bow. And he's going to ask you, you had an opportunity to do that and you never did. Why not? Well, I was concerned about my neighbor. They didn't do it. He's going to say, well, that is not the uh. A day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. He's already that, and some are just resisting. Even those who are not going to be with Jesus for eternity are going to bow the knee. They're going to, they have no option. In Hebrews chapter 12, it's a, it's a great text. I don't, it's, Hebrews is a book that I'm falling more and more and more in love with as I read it over and over and over. It's just it's such a good book. But it speaks about a kingdom that can never be shaken. That's the kingdom that we are a part of. A kingdom is ruled by a king. And we've we got to get our head around some of that language because we are, we're kind of a republic, a democracy. We don't really like kings and queens. We don't like that sort of stuff. We like to have a vote. Kind of no vote here. Sorry. No vote. No. We have a king and there's a kingdom. And that kingdom is unshakable. Let's anchor to that. It's unshakable. Let's not be a Jonah who didn't want to anchor to a kingdom. He would rather get on a boat. Boats sink. And when they sink, they are big fish. And big fish swallow people story of Jonah. No, we, we belong to an unshakable kingdom. So all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. At his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. The kingdom that he rules is an unshakable kingdom. You know what I love about the, the, the part of the kingdom being unshakable is that your fears and your doubts and, you're dis- and uh, in- when I say your, I'm talking about including me, our, our, our doubts and our fears and our disobedience and all, does not cause the kingdom to shake. It might cause your kingdom to shake. It doesn't cause his kingdom to shake. It's an unshakable, immovable kingdom. And then you... Reading, I'm going to, I'll give you the references. We won't look them up because they all say the same thing. And This is spe- specifically for Joe because Joe loves this text. Hebrews 8, 1, Ephesians 1:20, 1, Colossians uh, 3, verse 1, and in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it says that Jesus will sit down at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Do you know that text? Right hand. And Joe always want to know what happened to the left hand. The left hand was always kind of left out. Isn't that, Joe? What about the left hand? It's so unfair. But, right hand is the place of authority. So when Jesus sits down, and I like that, he's won the victory. He sits down at the right hand, and he rules from that position of authority and strength. When you read those verses, don't think, oh, that's a nice verse. No, it actually means something. So when the disciples are asking, can I sit at your right and your left? I mean, they they were jostling for position because they knew it had meaning. But our Lord has sat down at the right hand of him who rules on high. And it's a great position to be. So in the light of all of that, are you still with? We're okay? In the light of all that, Jesus has all authority, and he's reigning, and he's ruling, and he's the kingdoms, all of that. Why, why, why does it feel like that doesn't really work in our world? Do you ever ask that question? Why? Why is there racism? Why is there sexism? Why is there hatred? Why is there poverty? Why is there sickness? Why is there natural disasters? Why, why, why? If this is true and Jesus is on the throne and he's ruling and reigning all victorious, why, why, why? I ask those questions. And what I realize is that I have answers that are deeply satisfying to me, but they're very unsatisfying to everyone else. So we have to figure that one out. I think it's something we have to wrestle with and we're going to open a door today. I don't know if it'll satisfy you, but I think it's something that, the Holy Spirit would like to take us on a journey and say, if this is true, that we have this immovable rock, why does it feel like things don't line up? Please don't run away from questions like that. Even If you can't answer them today or tomorrow or next week or next month, don't run away from the questions. And when people ask you those questions and if you engage your world in the way that Jesus wants you to engage the world, going out in his full authority, they're going to ask the questions. If your God has so much authority, why, why, why? If you say he's such a victorious God, why, why, why? You can say, I don't know, but I'm trying to figure it out. And going back to that, I've... I've answered those questions deeply satisfying to me. But I realize they don't help other people. So I've got to figure that one out. Is that fair enough? Why, why, why? And people come up with all sorts of answers. And most of them don't satisfy. And then you also hear people come up with ridiculous responses. And we won't even go there. But even the people that are seriously wrestling sometimes say things and we say, oh, that doesn't quite doesn't quite add up. Why, why? You know. And I want to give you two words that help me. Maybe you could take them and wrestle with them, and come back and say garbage. It doesn't work. Maybe it'll maybe cause you to think a little more, or take you down another trail that you will discover something or help you. Um, I've got two words that helped me in understanding this thing that Jesus rules Jesus reigns Jesus has all authority he's established a kingdom that's immovable but this is where I am yeah, George Eldon Ladd that great theologian he wrote he spoke about the presence of the future that the the God with all authority with this kingdom of the future has broken into our present to begin to reveal something that is what it's going to look like in the future. And so today, as followers of Jesus, as believers committed to the way of Jesus, we live now but with a future understanding. We've brought the future into our world, and we are asking Jesus to rule and reign in our lives, to demonstrate to our world something of what the future will look like, imperfectly at ad- At this stage, so these two words that I want you to somehow get your head around is the word waiting and the word working. Waiting and working. Um, With the understanding, those two words in this is that we, if we see that we are in boot camp, all right, that we're in a project boot camp right now where God is training us and preparing us, and shaping us, and molding us for a day when we will co-rule with Jesus. It says we're going to rule and reign with Jesus over a new heavens and a new earth. Now that's a lot of unpacking to do, which we're not going to do today. That's not our scope right now. But until we get to that place, we are in boot camp where we are learning some of the skills of what it means to rule and to reign. And the first place that we are learning to apply the victory of Jesus in our world is when we learn to rule and reign in our own lives. Where we allow the authority of Jesus to rule in our lives. When we allow the life of Jesus to shape us. When we allow the word of God to transform our minds and renew them in the way of Jesus. We're in this process where we are patiently waiting. It's not a waiting, sitting on my butt, on the pew, just saying, I'll sleep until you arouse me. I will miss him. It's the waiting that has an expectation. It's the waiting from Isaiah. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. It's an expectation. It's an active word. It's a waiting I'm waiting. It's the ten virgins that were waiting for the bridegroom. Five were wise and five were foolish. The five wise ones had the oil ready. The lamps were trimmed. Everything was ready. The five foolish ones were just hanging out. They had lamps, but there was nothing in the lamp. The bridegroom suddenly arrived, and they were scrambling to find oil, and the door was closed, and they didn't get in. So our waiting is an expectation we are ready. We are doing everything that we can in obedience to Jesus, to make sure we are ready. So, when the victorious king begins that procession through the, the world and is wrapping things up, we are ready. That's the waiting. It's we are training ourselves. So that when Jesus says, Welcome in, when I'm wrapping it up. We are saying, We are ready to be part of that ruling and reigning party, not finding ourselves excluded. Does it kind of make sense? No. Uh, If it doesn't make any sense to you, please go think about it. Words waiting and working. The the Dallas Willard quote, The grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. While we are in boot camp, there's a lot of effort that is required. I have been in boot camp. There is a lot of effort required. They make you do things that you think are really silly, like polish your boots. And wash your clothes. Then they make you iron them in a weird way. And you have to iron your bed square. And sometimes you don't want to sleep in it because you don't want it to get a crease. And they, you know, they come and check the frames of the windows. And they put white gloves on to see if there's any dust. I mean, they're stupid things like that. What are they doing? They're just training you to be molded into military way. God is shaping us and molding us and teaching us into the way of what it means to rule and reign with him. I don't feel like praying. I'm too tired. No, he's training you to hear his voice so that when you rule and reign, when the king speaks, you know it's his voice. I don't feel like studying the Bible so hard. No, we just, little by little, read the Bible because he's showing us his ways. I don't want to love my neighbor. Well, then how are you going to rule over the new heavens and the new earth if you can't even love the neighbor? All of this is boot camp. It's preparing us to rule and reign with Jesus in his victory. And so into this current world, which is screwed up and is full of sin and full of disease and full of natural disaster and all those things, we are bringing to bear the the victory of Christ into our world. Now, I, Linda's my witness, I love watching National Geographic Channel. This Africa, there's still something of Africa in me. And I love to watch all those channels. And two weeks ago, I was watching one, and it was about a lioness and her cubs. And you, and they track them for the, a year or two, you know? And the lion, she catches, and they learn to eat, and no, no, no. But there comes a time where she finds a little deer, and she'll chase it, and she'll get it down, but she won't kill it. She'll, she lets it live, but then the cubs come, and she lets it go, and they have to catch the deer. And then when they run, she runs and hits it down again. And it feels like this is so cruel. So it's actually the way of the wild. And then they go and slowly they learn to actually chase the deer, grab it, kill it, learn to eat. She just doesn't do it for them. In the beginning she does and then slowly. And then it comes a time she says, okay, you're out of here. Go find your own pride or whatever. But you only do that once they've learned how to rule and reign in their world for themselves. Learn how to catch a buck. God does the same with us. He's teaching us. He just doesn't do everything for us. He's teaching us to rule and reign. He's teaching us. Oh, so he'll show us. This is what you must do. Teach us to pray, Lord. Okay, this is how you pray. Now you do it. No, you do it for us. No, 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 you do it. He's training us, he's teaching us in the ways of Jesus. He's teaching us what it means in the future to rule and reign in his victory. And every day that we submit to that, we change more and more into his likeness. Now, I've said for years we need somewhere we need to talk on rewards because the Bible speaks about rewards a lot. And I think that if you're I think if you're a believer, we we're all going to be with Jesus in his presence in heaven, whatever that looks like. We're going to be in his presence. But it seems that in that heavenly place with Jesus, there's going to be rewards. There are going to be some that are going to rule over five cities and some over ten cities. and some Maybe you're not going to rule over any cities. You'll just be part of the ruling party. But others will have greater. I believe it's shaped by things that happen here. It's got nothing to do whether you will be in God's presence or not. That's all done by Jesus as we respond to that. But the rest of it is the shaping of us. We are, wait, we are waiting and we are working. We are waiting with this expectation that Jesus come in. We are working with Jesus to be shaped more and more so that when he comes and we join the army, they're going to say, why is Mike part of that army? He didn't look like that king. Or will they say, wow, he fits right in. Look at that. They look the same. Because there's a, a working, there's a waiting, there's a boot camp of God shaping us and changing us, being, helping us to be prepared for an eternal rule and reign. It's a learning experience. It helps me understand it. Maybe you feel, oh, what a lot of trifle. Well, go f- find something. It helps me. So what I... I think it helps us live with an expectation, an expectation that God wants to work now and an expectation that God's going to do it fully in the future. So every time we pray for a sick person and they get healed, we get a glimpse of what it looks like. Every time there's a racial reconciliation, we get a glimpse of what it looks like in the future. Every time a sexist issue is resolved, we get a glimpse of what it looks like in the future because in the kingdom there's no... Man, woman, no Greek, no Hebrew, no slave, no free. It's one. doesn't mean that we know men and women in roles. I'm talking in terms of standing and understanding. So every time we deal with those things, we bring the future kingdom into our world today. Every time someone is delivered of a demon, we exercise the future victory of Jesus now. Every time you resist the temptation to sin, or I resist the temptation to sin, and walk through that, we, we demonstrate a reliance on a king with an unshakable kingdom. Now, that's what it's going to be like in the future. We are demonstrating. We are showing these things to the world. The real, no one gets healed if we don't pray for them. So you got to. You, the working is you've got to go pray for people and look foolish. When, when the, No one gets healed. Why? 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 Don't know. All I know is I've been told what to do, so I'm going to keep doing it. Is this making sense? Or is this like, oh, man, oh. I want to live in an expectation today of what's coming then. I want to encourage you to that as well. And that, we, that's, a, that's the whole thing. We can just have great meetings but actually never change. Please, I'm not saying we shouldn't have great meetings and have nice prayer meetings and all those things. Like last night, party was just ridiculously wonderful. That's what heaven's going to be like, I think. A lot of dancing. I mean, just read Revelation. It's a noisy place, this heaven. It's a very noisy place. Are we slow, okay for a minute or two? Then there's this understanding that you see in Scripture called the day of the Lord. A nice unpacking of it. I'm not going to read it just because of time in 2 Peter Chapter 3, he speaks about the day of the Lord. And you've heard, if you've been around this church for a while, you've heard me say, it doesn't matter what's happening now. There is a day coming. There is a day coming. I feel like, you know, the, 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 the old African-American preachers when it was really rough. Oh, there's a day coming. There's a day coming. Because at, at the essence is what Dr. Martin Luther King was saying when he spoke about I have a dream. What was he saying? There is a day coming when little white girls and little black girls will play together on the. I, I don't know the speech of Bart, but he was saying there is a day coming, and in the scriptures there's always this promise: there is a day coming. In Genesis chapter three, the seed of a woman will, will crush your head. There is a day coming, and Jesus goes. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Just wait for him ten days. There is a day coming. And then I'm going to come back for you one day. There is a day coming. So let's turn to Revelation 21 quickly. Talk about a day coming. <clears throat> now some people say, well, we don't, look, we don't want to use the book of Revelation. It's just some guy weird dream. You know, he kind of had a weird vision. Maybe he was eating too many shrooms or something. But it's a great, encouraging book. You know why it's encouraging? Because it tells us the end. And the end is victory. I don't know how it all quite works out. It just doesn't matter if I don't know how it quite works. All I know is it's Victory. Victory. So, Revelation 20, I in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. We got a picture of that yesterday, didn't we? Wasn't that good? Didn't they look so happy? It's a cool. One. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Look at this. This is the day coming. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You know, there'll be no reason to cry. have you thought about that? It's not like there's just no tears. There'll actually be no reason to cry. The victory will be complete. And death. Shall be no more. Isn't that awesome? I really hope that that bit comes about before I actually die. And I can just be caught up with them. It will be so amazing. But anyway. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. There is a day coming When there will be no racism and no sexism and no sickness and no war and no natural disasters. There will be is and no disobedient children and no rebellious husbands and wives.
1: There is
0: a day coming. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me three of the most important words in the Bible. It is done. On the cross, he said, it is finished. It was a victory. But here, it's wrapping up. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give you from the spring of water of life without payment. And then the next bit is what happens to people who don't want to be part of that. It's a beautiful picture. It is done. do an exciting story? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. That's what Jesus came to do. And we have this beautiful opportunity... To live it out every day, the best we know how and the picture at the end is always a bride together it's always a community together it's never single people doing their own th- not single I mean unmarried I'm just people on their own doing their own thing it's always in community that's why community today is so important because we are referencing today what is the future to live outside of community is not to live the way of Jesus. Uh, You can fight me till the cows come home, but to live outside of community as a believer is not to live in the way of Jesus. It's just not. From beginning to end of this book. Revelation in chapter 1, it opens, one of the verses says, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys to death and Hades. It's this great promise. We have we, nothing to fear. The king is ruling, and he's ruling today. It's not going to be something that will happen. It's, it's happening today. You know, they say, in, if, you, if you follow history in any way, um, in World War, take World War II as an example, the, the German army was defeated way before they actually signed the whatever the, what do you call that thing? Unconditional surrender. They had been defeated. And there had been surrenders all over the place. But there were always groups that were trying to hold on and say, no, we we'll, can we'll, we'll keep winning even though the victory was done. And that's what we live in today. The enemy knows he's defeated, but he's keep on keeping on. You know, 10 years ago, time I lose there, they found a Japanese soldier in the, in the jungles of Indonesia, I think, still fighting the war. He was by himself. He thought the war was still on, and he was fighting. 30, 40 years after the war ended, he was still fighting. He didn't know it ended, he was still going for it. It's finished, it's done. Don't let the, you be still fighting a war when you should su- just surrender to Jesus and let him, let him rule. Revelations twenty two seventeen. 17, just f- pushing forward and then we're done. It says this, The spirit and the bride say come. And let the one who hears say come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. That's our cry. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Our expectation is come, Lord Jesus, come. Come in your fullness, in all your victory, in all your shining armaments, whatever. Come, Lord Jesus, come and wrap it up and take us, and we want to be with you. But until you do, we're going to live in victory under you in the challenges of every single day. Two last thoughts. Live it like you mean it. If you confess it, live it. And that's what Matthew 7 says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The wise person is the person who hears these words of Jesus and puts them into practice. The foolish person is the one who doesn't put them into practice. The common denominator is a storm will come.